today we have another coaching series podcast. I'm excited about this one because uh, I haven't done this in a couple weeks, guys. It's been a minute and I am excited about it because I think these are some of the most helpful podcasts. They are the most structured podcasts that I actually record uh, because most of these are just straight off the cuff. This is actually the only type of podcast I really sit down and, and map out a lot with and I always end up creating an article as well so that there's a written version of this podcast for you. Um, so knowing that you can click the link in the description of this podcast and you can actually go visit the blog and you can check out this article called how to create a fat loss meal plan because inside the article I link a lot of different things I link a lot of different articles some studies as well as actually give you uh, some links to videos that I did on similar topics that I think will help in tandem with this uh, podcast and or article depending if you go read it but also a sample meal plan so at the bottom of the article there's actually like a written broken down sample meal plan for you so I think it would be helpful for you to go check that out. So head over to uh, taylorcoachingmethod.com slash fat-loss-meal-plan. Link is in the description of this episode as well. Now, before we get into the actual meat and potatoes of this podcast and meal plan, um, potatoes, no pun intended, I guess. Um, I don't think I gave potatoes in the meal plan that I use as a sample here either. But um, before we get into this, I do want to shout out a couple things. The first one is that the Taylor Transformations podcast is live and running. So tomorrow, there's going to be a brand new episode of one of the coaches. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, as I'm recording this, I'm solo in the podcast studio. I don't know what coach is next, so you'll have to wait and see. But last week, uh, there was a trailer that went out kind of uh, giving you an idea, an introduction to the podcast, so to speak, kind of showing you what the podcast is actually going to be like. And there was also a episode of me, yours truly, and that episode was specifically about uh, my journey, my transformation, the fat loss transformation I had personally, and how that influenced my career and how that got me actually into coaching to begin with. And then on Thursday, yes, Thursday last week, because those episodes are coming out on Mondays and Thursdays. Thursdays, we interviewed the actual host of that podcast, Coach Ariel. And uh, Ariel, I, do, I interviewed her on her journey, her story, and we went through her fat loss transformation, uh, leaving her coaching or her teaching career to become a coach, so on and so forth, and uh, get to where she is today. So uh, go check out that podcast. I'm going to remind you guys of that quite a bit over the next uh, several weeks, honestly, because I want you guys to go listen. If you are a fan of this podcast, you will be a fan of that, because um, starting this week, as you're hearing this, tomorrow there will be a coach being interviewed, but on Thursday this week will be our first client, uh, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited for you to meet this client and hear their story and their journey with us and hear about their transformation. So know that every single Thursday going forward, you are going to get the opportunity to hear from a client of ours. It is super cool. It is super exciting, and it is the, the just the best thing ever to hear and listen to our clients tell their experience and their transformation journey with us and how it's changed their life and the results they had and the struggles they faced and how they overcame them and what the coach helped them learn and you're going to get so much out of it. And there's so many of you who, who think about coaching, who need coaching, and who, who want to hear from people who actually go through the process of coaching. Or maybe you are coaching, and you want to hear from other members who are coaching with us too and kind of get an insight into how they're going through their process. So I'm very, very excited for you guys to hear that. So make sure you stay tuned to that. Go subscribe to it. It's called the Taylor Transformations Podcast. The cover is really easy to recognize. Gold, black, and a big-ass tailored across the front. So uh, we'll put a link to that in every single description of this podcast going forward. So make sure you go check that out. Um, and then last but not least, as I go through this podcast, if at any point you're listening and you're like, man, this all sounds amazing. I want to create this fat loss meal plan. 
but I still don't know how to do it. Like the, the content makes sense. The ideology makes sense. I understand what he's saying, but I don't know what to do. I, I can't figure out how to actually create this for myself. Make sure you head to tailoredcoachingmethod.com. Click the yellow button front and center. It's the first thing you'll see. Click that. Apply for coaching. It's free. There's a link in the description of this podcast as well. Um, jump on a free call. Like there's no harm. There's no risk. There's no commitment there. You're just applying, telling us a little bit about yourself. We will reach out to you. Set up a call. We'll chat for free. Coaching is a good fit. We'll make sure you know it, and we'll start the journey. And if it's not, we're going to teach you as much as we can in that 30 minutes. So there's no risk involved. TaylorCoachMethod.com. Click the yellow button. All right. Now, this coaching series podcast is going to be all about creating a meal plan. Uh, so we have done multiple coaching series podcasts, and this is where it's just me on the mic, and I just kind of dive into a specific topic that I think is relevant for anybody chasing goals or the, maybe even just relevant based on the conversations that I've been having personally with my clients. And I decide that, you know what, this is, this is something that I should cover in massive detail as a coach. The clients and the audience and the people listening wanting to achieve goals, they can hear it and that they can decide to use this strategy and try to grow uh, or improve their results from it. So um, we're going to dive into creating a fat loss meal plan. So before we do that, you know, the first thing we need to cover in this uh, how to create a fat loss meal plan coaching series podcast is we need to define and differentiate the two types of diets that you can follow to actually see progress. Now, sorry, there's fuzz on my mic. I got to get off. Okay, so it's bugging me. I can see it in the corner of my eye. Um, I'm like that. Now, we have to define and differentiate the different kinds of diets, right, that, that you can see. And there's really only two, right? And so for the context of this article, we're going to focus on those two. And we're going to actually dismiss things like paleo or keto dieting because those are more specifically eating styles, I would say, rather than fat loss diets. Can they cause fat loss? Sure, they absolutely can. But not without accomplishing calorie deficit, which many of you may understand. Therefore, when we consider the best approach for fat loss from a dieting perspective, we are specifically talking about calories and macros, right? And with regards to that, there's really only two specific ways of setting up a diet that is going to actually achieve some serious success or really just help you achieve that calorie deficit and hitting your macro targets to achieve that success and help you accomplish your fat loss goals. Um, and the reason I say this is because there's really just these two main ways that are most frequently used by successful dieters as well as my clients, my team's clients, myself, and uh, really, that's meal plans and that's flexible dieting. You know, at the end of the day, those are the two things that we need to look at. When you are trying to accomplish fat loss, there is a calorie deficit and good macros for you, your body, your age, your weight, your height, your activity level, your goals, your hormones, all those kind of things. But that boils on your calories. Without the calorie deficit, you're not going to lose weight. Without the macros, you can't individualize the calorie deficit in order to successfully lose weight and sustain the process while also accomplishing other things that you desire, whether that is performance or hormonal health or anything like that. But in order to accomplish those two things, successfully meeting your calories and hitting macros each day, there's really two routes that people take. There's the flexible dieting route or there's the meal plan route. Both have pros, both have cons. So first we'll cover flexible dieting for fat loss. Flexible dieting is commonly mixed up with if it fits your macros because they are very similar uh, with regards to how they accomplish fat loss for an in, any individual really, right? They both require that you track your food, uh, measure a lot of the food that you eat, and uh, you got to do it in, in a food logging app typically um, to record your calories and macros. Otherwise, you won't really be able to do so. We used to do it in Excel sheets way, way, way back. Um, we're talking like pre-MyFitnessPal bodybuilding days, but most people are going to use uh, MyFitnessPal or Chronometer or something like that, right? However, they are different in many regards. 
and different, I mean, uh, uh, they, I mean, flexible dieting and if it's your macros, right? Specifically because if it's your macros was built by taking flexible dieting and pushing it out of context and into the ideology that macro numbers are really all that matters. But this disregards nutrient timing, hydration, sodium intake, micronutrients, and so much more, many of which do matter actually quite a bit. And there's a lot of people who just prioritize macros and they don't prioritize these things. And that's what leads to a lot of the lack of sustainability with the success they see. They might see a quick result because their macros on point, they go into a deficit and they lose some weight. However, maintaining that result due to unrelated, uh, like unrelated to calories and macros, like a number unrelated to numbers aspects, they fall off, they can't stay adherent, they get unhealthy, so on and so forth, and then the diet is no longer successful from a long-term basis. Whereas flexible dieting prioritizes the cal- uh, the calories and the macros, right? The caloric and the macronutrient value of every food that you intake, but it allows you to be flexible with your diet while still seeing those results. This is primarily because when it comes to losing weight or body fat, your calories are really the the number one priority in achieving success, right? And a simple way to understand this would be, let's take uh, an example of a a paleo eating person or a paleo diet. Um, But that person eating a paleo diet is also in a calorie surplus. See, a paleo diet is super rich in micronutrients. That's one of the benefits of it. You're eating lots of fruits and veggies, lean meats, eggs, and so much more high quality produce, natural foods, right? all of which are packed with vitamins and minerals. And you are also eliminating sugar, processed food, alcohol, that kind of stuff. So this has got to be healthy, right? And, and I would say, yeah, it is. But does it actually encourage fat loss? Most people would think so because it's healthy. And yeah, it might encourage some at the beginning as long as you're in a calorie deficit. Because even if you're eating the healthiest diet in the world and you're getting all the vitamins and minerals you need, but you're still in a calorie surplus, you will not lose weight. In fact, you would gain weight because you're in a surplus. This is why the best diets for fat loss all promote a calorie balance that is in favor of you reaching your goals, whether that's losing weight or gaining weight. But in this case, let's say a calorie deficit, right? They promote that. So if you do go into a paleo diet or a keto diet or a carnivore diet or intermittent fasting diet or anything like that, that claim that these results happen because of the diet type and not the calorie, uh, the caloric balance the diet is giving you, one, they're full of shit, two, they also aren't telling you the whole picture and what's going to happen is you're going to plateau because at first it does create a deficit, you lose weight, and then all of a sudden you stop losing weight because you are no longer in a calorie deficit. Maybe you're doing keto and you cut out all these carbs and it creates a deficit, you start losing weight, but then lo and behold, you figure out these delicious uh, keto brownie recipes and you start deciding that you're going to put avocados and bacon on everything and shit, why don't we cook in bacon grease? You know, because we want to get more fats, that's what helps burn fat, right? Wrong. Eating a ton of fat increases the amount of fat you burn in your total daily energy expenditure because you have more fat to use as fuel, but it doesn't mean you burn more fat off your body. It's actually the opposite. You actually end up storing more fat as well. And that's the side of the research studies that people don't look at, which is hilarious. They show a high-fat diet burns more fat because it does, but they don't show that a high-fat diet typically stores more fat too because there's more fat in the intake. No matter what you do, if you have more carbs in the intake, you're going to burn more carbs, and that doesn't sound as good as burning fat, right? So anyway, what this means really is that calories are what's most important in regards to body composition changes. And therefore, the best way to accomplish fat loss is to create a calorie deficit. That's the take-home point there. However, the best way to create health is a combination of food quality and fat loss. Being lean and avoiding obesity is the most influential factor in overall health and well-being. We know that. It's the best way to prevent disease. It's the best way to live longer, best way to have uh, better cardiovascular uh, uh, health. It's, I mean, blood pressure, everything, right? 
And after that comes vitamins, minerals, fiber, hydration, all of those things, the micronutrient-based stuff. So it's with the combination of these things that we achieve both health and fat loss because those things, vitamins, minerals, fiber, hydration, sodium, all these things, right? Those things are helpful. They are very important for health. But if your calories are out of whack and you're, you're overweight, they're not going to do much to make you healthier. They're just going to make you less sick, right? Like you're not going to get sick as quickly, but you're still going to get more sick because you're fat. So as soon as people lose weight, and it sounds blunt, but as soon as people lose weight and lose body fat and get lean, they immediately increase their immune function and their, their ability to prevent disease and sickness. So the key becomes calories and health, which means there's parts of paleo and all that stuff that are great, right? But we, we, have to, we can't ignore the calories. But just because eating more of the vitamin and mineral dense foods, the micronutrient dense foods makes you healthier does not mean that drinking a beer on occasion or fitting some ice cream or having a hot dog with your kids, fitting that into your calorie intake doesn't make you unhealthy, which is where flexible dieting comes into play and works fantastic uh, with people who are normal everyday people and want to achieve fat loss, right? This way of dieting allows us to set up our calories and macros to accomplish the body composition changes we actually desire, in this case, fat loss. But it also allows us to set boundaries for our intake so that we can include enough of the foods that lead to better health and just enough of the junk food that we love to make dieting easier to adhere to long-term because we're not eliminating social settings or our favorite foods that we get cravings for. So there's only two primary problems with flexible dieting because overall it sounds amazing and it's probably the way to go as you can tell. If it fits your macros goes too far and says nothing matters but the numbers, paleo goes too far and says that the numbers don't matter at all, it's just the quality of food. Like most things in life, it, it, success lies in the middle. However, there's still a couple problems with flexible dieting that I see with people and this is where a meal plan might be more helpful. And problem number one is people become too flexible with their diet and they do this in a way that ends up having them eat really just eating loads of inaccurately labeled processed foods, right? Or eating out at restaurants too often. They go to Chipotle every day for lunch and they, they really believe that Mike behind the counter is serving them uh, a scoop of chicken. And on my fitness pal, a scoop of chicken is accurate from a macro perspective. Come on. Like the, we, we know that's not accurate. Right. Um, and if we're doing that on top of eating a lot of processed food, because Hey, if it's your macros, fuck it, scan the barcode into MyFitnessPal, you can eat whatever, and you look at the United States, uh, I don't even know, what is that, uh, FDA, Food Department Administration or something like that, uh, anyway, it's, it's like a 20% margin of error, right, so if you scan a food label, even if it is a healthy food, it's processed, it has a 20% margin of error. 20 to 25%. So for like a easy math, you scan something that is 200 calories. Well, it could only be 150. It could be upwards of 250 if it's 25% off. And I think it's 20 or 25%. Either way, you add that up throughout the day and that leads to a lot of calories, potentially. We don't know because you might scan it and it might actually be spot on that time, but sometimes it's not. And on top of that, you could be uh, eating something that is 800 calories off of a label and 800 times 20% is a big difference right? Or 100 calories, 20% off over the course of eight feedings throughout the day because you have all these little different ingredients and snacks throughout the day. That leads to a lot as well. So the point is, is uh, eating a lot of processed foods that are relying on labels, which are allowed to be up to 20 to 25% off from an accuracy perspective. Um, and then eating out at dinner or eating out any meal at restaurants too often and just putting your faith in whoever's behind the counter, which they don't give a shit about your macros or your fat loss goals, right? It doesn't mean never eat out at restaurants. It means you got to, you got to, 
you know, monitor it, do the best you can and not do it all the time. Um, when you have a serious goal, when you're at maintenance, it's different. And this, this, I'm not going to get into this part too much, but just remember, like, as I'm going through this, I don't want anybody to listen and go, fuck, that's, that seems pretty brutal. Like I can never eat out at a restaurant. Well, no, I'm saying when you have a serious fat loss goal, if you're stepping like a client works with us and we're like, Hey, the next 12 weeks, we're going to grind at this fat loss journey. It's not going to be miserable. You're going to enjoy the process. We're going to teach you a lot. We're going to push the intensity. You're going to build discipline. It's going to be great. And you're going to achieve a result that changes the way you look and you love yourself 10 times more because you can see in the mirror and you're proud of your accomplishment. You look leaner, you look fitter, you look harder, you look denser, you're pumped, right? You're healthier. You're going to live longer. You're stronger for your kids. Like all the amazing things that happen when you go through a transformation, during that period of time, yeah, you got to be a little bit more strict. It's not like rocket science. Let's eat out less. Let's account for our food a little bit better by controlling what we put in our body a little bit more uh, specifically so that we know we are indefinitely consuming what we think we are and what we're tracking, right? And then when we get to maintenance, feel free to uh, be more flexible because maintenance is a moving target. Your maintenance isn't 2,500 on the dot. Your maintenance is somewhere between two, like 2,100 to 2,700. You know, it, it's a, it's a flexible range. So if some days you eat out and you have more, some days you don't eat out, you have less, like you'll be fine. Maintaining is easier than losing fat. Um, okay. Now I, I digress. So the second part of flexible dieting that becomes an issue is the lack of structure. Uh, and that leads to an inability to plan meals ahead of time properly. Uh, it, really leads to a lack of accountability as well. Um, and ultimately a lack of adherence and consistency because you don't have the structure, you don't have the plan and you don't have the serious accountability to stay on point, you know, and a lot of times you're guessing, so it gets frustrating. Right. And so there is a couple problems with flexible dieting. There's a lot of reasons it's good, but there's a lot of reasons why it might be too flexible at times, which is where our second route of dieting comes into play. And that is meal plans. The image that you might have in your head right now, as you envision a meal plan Maybe I'll speak for myself and you can just, you know, nod your head on your end of this podcast and agree with me or disagree with me. But when we think of a meal plan, we think of a super jacked bodybuilder who's holding this tiny plastic little Tupperware uh, and it's filled with chicken and broccoli, maybe even some brown rice, right? Or maybe you think of a, a Pinterest picture that has an entire dining room table full of those like, it's like 37 different Tupperwares across the whole table and they're perfectly synchronized with different types of greens and all that stuff. And it's like a hashtag diet motivation, hashtag meal prep Monday kind of post, right? Did I take that literally right out of your mind or what? Like that is exactly what I image when I think of meal plan. Um, but the problem with that idea or that picture is that it's just not reality, Right. The truth is a meal plan doesn't even have to be prepped ahead of time, which is where most people misconstrue the term meal plan or the idea of what it is. A meal plan is a plan, not a meal prep. What I just broke down was a meal prep. Somebody meal prepped a bunch of Tupperware's chicken and that Jack bodybuilder brings it everywhere he goes, right? In a big, uh, like, uh, big, like lunch pail thing that has like 10 different compartments for your different meals and shit. Like those used to be super popular. Um, until flexible dieting crushed the idea that like, oh, you don't have to do that. Um, anyway, therefore, you can have a flexible dieting based meal plan, right? Like it's, it's because it's not about the prep, it's about the plan, which is exactly what I actually recommend most commonly and uh, what I see used by the most successful clients we have had over the years, um, as well as myself. Like when I see the best results personally, that's what I do. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later when I show you guys how to create the meal plan. But to further elaborate on what a meal plan is, a meal plan is just a predetermined set of meals that meets your total daily requirements for both calories and macros, and typically it gets repeated daily until you succeed. The reason these are so common in the bodybuilding space and in the bodybuilding world is because they fucking work. 
That's why. They absolutely work. They work really, really well. And it's no coincidence that bodybuilders are also, those who use this, they're also the most successful people at getting lean. They're much more successful than everyday people at getting lean, as we know. And generally, they're the best at getting lean by a specific deadline because they have a stage to get on, right? So we can learn a lot from them. We don't have to take things as serious as them, but we can learn a lot from them. And obviously, I'm like a recreational bodybuilder. I like bodybuilding. I do it as a hobby, and I'm going to step on stage in October. So there's going to be points times where I get into that mode. But in general, we just take as much as we can from them, and we implement the, the, the things that really work well in a more flexible, less rigid way. So it's more sustainable, right? Now, meal plans are created with almost entirely simple ingredients, whole food-based choices, and this is why they work, right? And, and like, again, they work really well, and this is why. And this is why bodybuilders use them. They use them because they are created entirely with these simple food, like single ingredient foods, basically. All of them are whole food based. And the more rigid selection, uh, which can be draining for people, uh, psychologically speaking, for some people, um, it's very repetitive and easy to repeat over time. It's also very easy to track because it eliminates inconsistencies that food labels have, which is one of the primary reasons why flexible dieting can't, can yield progress at a certain point, right? You plateau um, or it's not accurate enough. Um, and even in the circumstance that an item in a meal plan is inaccurately measured, let's say, from the very beginning, it still becomes an unchanged variable, which is less of a liability to the diet being successful than constantly changing the inaccurately measured food. If you're, you're, if you're swapping out the processed foods that you scan and put in your diet every day, well, there's a good chance that that's going to slow you down further than, oh, I've been inaccurately measuring my turkey for the last 12 weeks. But it doesn't matter because we adjust based on that inconsistency being placed. So the adjustment is still consistent, right? Meal plans are also, they, they're really good at creating a higher level of structure than flexible diet does, which is nice for any, anyone that's like really busy, whether that's due to work or family obligations or anything really, uh, because this allows them to just follow the plan and watch the results happen. So long as they don't get bored of the foods they're eating, which sounds like it, it'd be more common than it actually is. If I'm being honest, like in my experience, like we always think that's a big issue. Ah, well, meal plans aren't going to work because people are going to get bored of it. And yes, people do get bored, but the reality is, is people don't get bored as often as you, you would think. And if you use a meal plan in the way I'm going to suggest later in the podcast, then you really never get bored. And by the time you do decide you want to change something up, it's not this like, life or death decision. It's like, ah, yeah, I think I'm going to switch this out. And you just swap it for something that's similar macros and it's very easy, right? But again, uh, it creates structure and that's the biggest thing, right? And there's even research to show that this structure that repeats food groups within diet day after day can actually lead to less overeating and less cravings compared to a diet that has a lot of variety and infrequent amounts of random free or cheat meals. I, I talk about it in a YouTube video we did on cravings and they actually had a study where they put people through it. They basically had people eat the same thing five days a week and then they had people eat that thing once a week for five weeks straight. And they showed that the people who ate it once a week for five weeks straight, every time they were more tempted to and often did overeat in that setting. Whereas the person that ate it every single day, five days in a row for five weeks, very quickly they stopped overeating or having the temptation because they got so, the, the food got palatable, right? It got, they got used to it. And they no longer had the desire to overeat because they were satisfied with what they got and they knew they were going to eat it tomorrow. So even if we're eating something that is like, uh, you know, if we're changing the flavor of oats all the time or we're changing the flavor of something, like it's not bad. Some people do totally fine with it. But some people, if you find yourself always overeating or slightly digging into a little bit more peanut butter, 
but you also are the type that buys like the white chocolate, macadamia nut, peanut butter, protein special flavor. And then tomorrow you're going to have like the, the nutter butter flavor. And then the day after that you have chips, ahoy flavored peanut butter. Like there's all these fancy things now, right? You might want to stop that and pick one. Even if it is the chips, ahoy flavored peanut butter, eat that shit every single day for a while. You will be less likely to overeat it. And if you love it just as much as the other ones, that's even better. Shit. If you love it more, pick it. Cause if you repeat it, you'll still love it. You'll just be less likely to overeat it. So, and lastly, on the, the topic of meal plans, I do want to make note that, you know, uh, about something that is commonly asked because I think this is important to, to mention. And that's uh, when we're talking about repeating the same foods in a meal plan and that's food sensitivities. But the term food sensitivity isn't really backed up by much, re- much research and food sensitivity tests are, for lack of better terms, fucking stupid. <laughs> they don't, <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't like them. They've, they've been debunked countless times and that, that sounds very blunt and to the point, but the reality is, is they literally have been disproven by research many times because the IgG sensitivity test, they don't actually test for something that is indicative of true sensitivities. They're testing an enzyme that is going to naturally spike and that that spike in that enzyme is a part of the digestive process. And that doesn't mean you have a sensitivity to it or it's an issue at all. Um, So it's really just not backed up by research. Food sensitivity is more of an anecdotal term from what I know. Um, There's food intolerances, there's food allergies and things like that, which are totally different but typically are related to genetics, autoimmune-related issues, hormones, things like that. Um, Or like uh, if something is uncooked or you have something's contaminated, you know, like stuff like that. But it's very rare that you just like, oh, I ate ground turkey too much and now I have a food sensitivity to it, right? That's very rare to happen. But however, we can lean on a little bit of anecdotal evidence here. You know, I've had plenty of people who have uh, claimed they have that. Um... And that's okay because people's experience individually is still evidence. That's still important information going into a coaching setting, right? And we can acknowledge that some people's bodies just simply disagree with certain foods and uh, they have a difficult time digesting them. So this is not uh, something that we want to completely dismiss, but typically these situations are not even remotely close to anything life-threatening and it's very unlikely caused by the repetitiveness of a food being in the diet, but rather by Another cause uh, during the consumption of food, like I mentioned earlier, genetic, autoimmune, something that we we may not be able to pinpoint right now. Um, so what's the issue with meal plans then? Because they seem great, right? They work really well. They provide structure, accountability. They're fucking awesome. Like the best at getting lean, do it. Like they seem awesome, right? Well, what's the big deal here? Well, they do provide more structure and reliability for accuracy and adjustments. And that's the main reason they work. They, they work because they create that structure, that accountability, that, that system. They make adjusting the diet as a coach way easier. They make accuracy way better. Um, but they may decrease cravings and overeating sometimes, like I mentioned, but also they may trigger over like overeating and binges occasionally for some people who overly restrict themselves during a meal plan. Um, and if the main reason they work is to create a calorie deficit, you don't actually need to follow a meal plan. So this is where like, you really have to dig deep personally and decide what's going to be best for you personally. Like what is the best thing that you would adhere to flexible dieting or meal plans? Because both can work. Both have a lot of pros and both have a lot of cons. Flexible dieting hits the targets, hits the macros, gives you freedom, gives you social settings back, all that kind of stuff. You don't need to overly prep food. Meal plans give you more structure. They make the adjustment prospect more uh, successful, typically across the way. And then also they make your diet quite a bit more accurate in 95% of the circumstances. But they both have pros and they both have cons. So is one better than the other? No. What's better? 
I don't think either one of them is better. In fact, um, I do want to mention before I give my actual answer, which is it depends, as you can imagine, um, that we did, we actually wrote an article on the study. So there was a research study on this topic, and it was literally about flexible dieting versus meal plans. Um, And we did a podcast, me and Brandon Roberts, our chief science officer, he reviewed the study. We did a podcast. We wrote an article on it. So we'll link that in the description of this podcast. It's also linked in the blog. So you can click there and it'll have it in there. And uh, I actually recorded a YouTube video as well, diving into this topic. And in that video, I laid out the difference between the two, like I have already. Um, And then I went through the exact same study and gave my perspective from a coach Uh, from the coach's angle, and then kind of give you my thoughts on what I think is actually best. But in the study, what they actually found um, is that meal plans outperformed flexible dieting because of all the things I mentioned, right? And the reality is, is in a controlled setting, um, meal plans gave more structure, they gave more uh, education because uh, they actually told people you know, how many macros they're consuming, which is something I'm going to get into because that's the only way a meal plan really works. Classically, uh, in the old bodybuilding days and when people would actually hire bodybuilding coaches more often, even if they weren't a bodybuilder, because that's the only people that gave diet coaching advice and such, they would just buy meal plans, right? And the coach would give them a bodybuilder meal plan. And uh, the problem with that is there was no education on it. You know, you're eating your chicken, broccoli, and brown rice, but you don't know what the significance of broccoli is. Is it better than Brussels sprouts or can I have green beans? Like I like those better. There's no fruit here. Is fruit bad? Is that sugar? Is that why? It's chicken. Can I have steak or turkey or fish? Like, is there something wrong here? Right? What's what, it's brown rice? Is white rice okay? Quinoa? How many carbs are in this meal? How many pro? How much protein is in this meal? Oftentimes, it wasn't individualized to the person, so there wasn't any answer. But the point is, is like, unless you have a meal plan that guides you on the specific things that are going to educate you on why that meal plan's working, it's not going to work long term because you don't ever know how to change it. Because at some point in time, you will have to change things in and out which is why I typically say the best approach is actually a flexible meal plan. So it's a meal plan that has flexible dieting included. And the study kind of pointed to that. The study showed that both groups were successful, but the meal plan uh, was a little bit more successful. And afterwards, so the follow-up showed that the meal plan people were still more successful after the fact because they were more well-equipped with how to structure a day of eating. Both groups knew how many calories they had to consume at the end of the day because the meal plan showed them how many calories they had to eat to lose weight. But the meal plan also taught them how to put healthy foods together in order to make a good, healthy, satiating, and uh, like accurate from a macro tracking perspective diet and meal plan. And that led to better success long term because it actually taught them something. Whereas if you just give somebody some calories and numbers to track from a macro perspective, it's not really going to do much, right? So you have to go a bit further than that. So neither is better. And again, I'll link all that stuff in the show notes so you guys can go check that out. But um, the real answer is that neither is better, and it really depends on the situation and on the person. But most likely, it's a combination of the two that works best. And with my clients, I typically use a flexible dieting meal plan. And uh, I'm going to kind of go over what this looks like, how this how this is structured, and why I think this is so successful. So if you create a meal plan, you are developing structure, and you are having some autonomy in the decisions of the foods going into that plan. This gives you control, and that's empowering uh, compared to being told what to eat. And the reason I say it this way is because it's you creating the meal plan. So I give sample meal plans at times, and I will even create meal plans for our clients. But when I do, I ask them, let me see your current diet. Let me see how many meals a day you like to eat. Let me see, let me see what kind of foods you like to eat. And if I can't see, I'm going to ask them. What's your favorite protein sources? What's your favorite carb sources? Like, we have to give you some freedom and some choices, right? So that's the first point. 
Second thing is that without having daily calories and macros determined, a meal plan will not provide the results you desire to achieve. So with that meal plan, you also need to know and understand where your total daily intake needs to be, both from a caloric perspective and a macros perspective. So yeah, you can set up a meal plan, but you also really need to make sure that you know what your daily calories are, as well as what macros you should hit within those daily calories. Taking it a step further, planning your meals out by macros first is key. This is because it allows you to properly distribute your protein, fats, and carbs throughout the day. This is going to help you with satiety, uh, so staying full during the diet. It's going to help you with recovery, digestion, performance in the gym, and potentially even your circadian rhythm, which is going to influence your hormones and your metabolism. What this also does is allow you to be more easily able to swap foods in and out on a meal-by-meal basis in the circumstance where you cannot get to the meal that is written out for your plan. So if you have six ounces of chicken, but you have no chicken, there's a chicken shortage at the store, but you know that six ounces of chicken is X amount of calories, 40 grams of protein, whatever it is, you can choose a different meat or a different food source that is protein-based that gives you the amount of protein and calories that you need and fits those macros in that meal, right? You can't do that with a regular meal plan without the education. So understanding your your total daily calories and macros as well as the meal-by-meal breakdown is key so you can make these swaps when necessary. Having a meal plan also, uh, going to the next point, <clears throat> having a meal plan gives you uh, structure and uh, repetitiveness like we kind of talked about before, right? So to make day-to-day eating less tedious to track while also way more accurate, which is going to definitely produce more results. However, having the total daily calorie and macro target to fall back on, you can also have certain days within the week, one or two days maybe is what I would recommend, that you don't follow the meal plan and you do have more of a if it's your macro style day to enjoy some social eating or to simply eat some foods that aren't on your current meal plan. This goes a long way for the psychological aspect of dieting and the fatigue dieting can actually bring on mentally, which is kind of like why we implement diet breaks with clients' plans, right? Because at a certain point, you need that stress relief. And in fact, this is exactly what I do. I follow a meal plan basically Sunday to Friday. And then Saturdays, I, I'm off that meal plan. Sundays, sometimes I don't follow it to the T. I try to get close to it, but I don't follow it exactly simply because I haven't prepped some of my meals yet. But Monday through Friday, I'm spot on. And then Saturday, I just like, I have like a boundary that I need to have for my refeed day, which is like not a typical, you know, high carb refeed bodybuilding style day. It's, it's typically like have some wine with my wife and chill out or go to dinner. This weekend, we're going to dinner with some friends. I have plenty of calories to play with because I can add a certain amount of calories. I'm not going to say my calories because it's different for everybody, but uh, we have an allotment between my coach, my coach and I, and I like this style. It's like, I'm following my meal plan. I'm going to swap meal five with whatever the hell I want. And as long as it stays within X amount of calories, because then you know, you're not binging, like you're good. You know, you don't have to track it super accurately, but just know, and I'm experienced so I can do so. I can kind of track my head. Right. But the point is, is that having this kind of flexible meal plan style of, of dieting is really great because you can follow the meal plan 90% of the week and get the best results possible while having a day where you just hit your macros at the day, right? And it gives you that flexible dieting aspect that you need to keep stress low while dieting. And you can only do this if you actually know the numbers of the diet in the meal plan itself. So now we know it's like not really one versus the other, right? There's no like one is better than the other because it depends on the person, but also it's it's probably a combination of the two that leads to the greatest amount of fat loss success. There's only one thing left to do in this podcast to kind of bring it all uh, home so you can really understand how to do this effectively. And that is to actually create a fat loss meal plan. So there's five specific steps 
that I'm going to outline for you uh, as we wrap this podcast up in as much detail as possible. Um, I will try to share the the meal plan, you know, the sample meal plan I have here, the best of my ability, but you, you might want to go to the website for that because it's on the blog. Um, but after the five steps, uh, I, I will go through these five steps in as much detail as I can. Then I will we'll kind of go over that meal plan with you. Um, and then if you go to the blog, I will actually share a video. Uh, if you haven't watched it yet, it was the video that dropped last week um, on our YouTube. And it is a full day of eating. So it is literally uh, at the time my calories were at 2,800 calories. So we filmed it. Uh, as you're listening to this two weeks ago and it aired last week. So last week my calories actually went up and uh, now I'm at about 3000 calorie, 3,040 calories. So I'm eating a good amount of food, but for a 2,800 calorie diet, uh, and I was actually kind of dropping a little bit of weight. So we had to bump my calories up cause I'm doing a lot of activity. Um, that's my day of eating. And the reality is, is that's a perfect example. You know, I have a lot of oats in a meal. If you don't have 2,800 calories and 300 some carbs to play with, like, have the same meal, just lower the amount of oats, lower the amount of sweet potatoes, lower the amount of rice I have, like it's simple as that, right? That's the beauty of a meal plan. You can adjust like that really easily. So five steps in order to create the perfect fat loss meal plan. Step number one, you got to determine your calorie intake and your macro targets. This is based on, this is your base and this is your foundation. This is based on like your age, weight, height, all that stuff. You can go to taylorcoachmethod.com slash T-D-E-E dash calculator, or it might just be TDEE. Um, and you can figure out your calories, macros, and all that stuff. So we have a calorie calculator that's completely free on the website, but you got to find out what your base is, right? Your foundation, which is your calorie intake. And then you got to divvy that up into macros. I'm not going to dive into the details of that. I'm going to save that for a different podcast. Um, cause I'm going to do another coaching series podcast all about how to essentially cal- uh, calculate your calories and determine the best macronutrient intake for you macronutrient ratio or breakdown for you. Um, but it is the most definitive aspect of losing body fat or gaining muscle mass as well. Right. Um, because the calorie balance determines the body composition response more than anything else does. And, uh, the only way to determine where your body actually goes with fat loss or muscle growth is if you're eating the right caloric intake. So the, the calorie intake is the, the most important thing, um, of all, right. And that's, that's the big, that's the big, thing here that we need to remember, right? So when you're creating the, the meal plan, you have to have that first because um, it determines the response and everything else after that, right? You can't even create a meal plan if you don't know where that's at. And if you do create a meal plan without knowing where your calories and macros are at, the meal plan is extremely inaccurate and it's not customized for you. Step number two is to decide how many meals per day you want to eat. So now that we know what our calories are, we need to know how many meals we want to eat. Um, and I would select this based on a couple things. Um, number one, I would select this based on what you can consistently adhere to. So if you read somewhere that five meals is the best, but you know, there's no way in hell with your schedule that you'd be able to eat five times a day, then I would make sure that you don't choose five meals a day. However, if you can eat five meals a day and you, you know, if you wake up early and you train really hard and you want to build muscle in the process, blah, blah, blah. Like I, I would suggest five meals. I think four to five meals is the perfect amount. You need at least three meals based on some protein uh, research and uh, going above five is kind of useless. So if you have six meals, there's really no benefit to that versus five, maybe in some very rare circumstances, but otherwise five meals at four to five meals a day is kind of the sweet spot. Um, so you need to do this based on your consistency as well as what your goals are. And I would say the higher your protein intake is, the more likely you should lean towards that five meals per day, as well as uh, the, the earlier you train and or the greater your intake, the greater your mass is, the greater amount of muscle mass you want to 
build, the more meals you should have because we were going to want to spread out those nutrients a little bit more. Usually the, the lower your calories get, the closer you are to a diet, it actually can be beneficial to go down to four or three meals per day because you can have small, uh, like less frequently, uh, less frequent feedings, but bigger sized meals, which is typically good for sati satiation and just making sure you're not too food focused. But this is your blueprint, right? And without it, you can't really move forward into the rest of these steps because they all rely on a total number of meals to determine their result, right? So like the next one, you're going to divide something up throughout the day, but you can't divide it up unless you know the meals per day you're eating, the amount of meals per day you're eating. So you got to figure this out first. Um, and I also want to preface this because I've talked to clients about this as well. A meal doesn't just mean you're sitting down having a big plate and it's a, it's a whole bunch of food. You got to sit down, and eat with a fork and knife, right? The reality is, is that a meal is any feeding. So I want you to think of feedings, not meals. So if you sit down, you have a protein shake, some almonds and an apple, that is a meal. You have carbs, you have micronutrients, you have fats from the almonds, you have protein from the shake. That is a meal. It doesn't look like a meal. It looks like a snack, but that is a meal. And you want to focus on meals and feedings, um, which you'll find out more of based on these next three steps. But the point is, is that is still a feeding. So don't think of meals, think of feedings, even though I'm going to repeatedly say meals in this podcast. Step number three in creating that meal plan. Take your daily protein intake and divide it up by the number of meals you plan to eat. This is going to allow you to optimize muscle protein synthesis, uh, which is basically your uh, body's response to training and nutrition and nutrition being eating protein. Um, that is going to help you lead to better recovery and better muscle growth and less protein breakdown, right? So less muscle loss, more muscle growth, better uh, satiety as well. So protein is the most filling nutrient of the three macronutrients. And if we have feedings of protein throughout the day, we're likely going to stay, stay more full. So um, typically uh, you need at least three servings of protein per day to maximize muscle protein synthesis. But most research points at four to five being more beneficial than three, because you can potentially max that protein synthetic response even more. Step number four uh, is to determine what time you're going to train and portion your carbs more heavily around that meal. And an easy way to do this and determine how many carbs you should place around these meals would be to take your total daily carb intake and divide it or, or uh, essentially take 20 to 40% roughly of your total daily carb intake and place it uh, at the meal before and or after your training session. Um, so I say and or because if you train at six in the morning and you don't want to have 90 grams of carbs as your first meal at five in the morning, I totally get it. Um, but your post-workout meal should. So point being is, uh, you know, you put most of your carbs around your workout window, specifically starchy carbs like rice, oats, stuff like that, maybe a little fruit. Um, and as an example, if you're consuming 300 grams of carbs for easy math, the average amount, uh, between the 20 to 40% would be 30%. And that would be 90 grams of carbs per meal pre and post-workout. And if you had five meals per day total, that leaves you with 120 grams of carbs to distribute across your three meals that are left, which is 40 grams per meal. And that's a general range and truly only becomes more important when you get super lean or you get really low into a deficit because the leaner you get, the more you're going to rely on those like little tiny percentages of in those increases of energy, right? The small jumps up percentage wise in your energy to perform, but also the less fat you have in your body, the more likely you are to be in a glycogen depleted state, uh, which means that you're running out of fuel, substrates, carbohydrates to train with. So you want to take in carbs more specifically around your workout. The further you get into diet, the leaner you are. Um, if you are in a maintenance or a surplus, you probably have enough in your intake, just generally speaking, to not worry about it as much. Um, step number five. Um, oh, and I lied. As I'm scrolling through my notes, we have six steps, guys. So there's six steps to create this meal plan. Okay. So uh, number five is to place a small amount of fat in your pre and post-workout meals as well, um, while then distributing the rest evenly throughout the day. 
Fats spread evenly throughout the day is totally fine too. You can just take the number and divide it by five if you're eating five meals, um, as it is going to help with digestion rates and satiety, um, which means you're just going to slow the digestion down of each meal because fat is a nutrient that slows down the digestion of other nutrients like protein, carbs. So you'll get like a less of an insulin release from uh, starchy carbs if you put fats with it, or if you do a glycemic index test, a high glycemic carb like white rice would become a low glycemic carb if you put oil or, uh, or like almond butter on it or something that slows the digestion down. So glycemic carbs are kind of bullshit because you can tamper it with adding other ingredients in it. And nobody just eats pure white rice by itself. Um, however, too much fat in your pre-workout meal or your post-workout workout meal may slow, slow digestion down just too much um, in a setting where we would probably want to benefit from a faster digestion rate. Recent research kind of suggests that worrying about this in the post-workout feeding window is really not going to provide much benefit, if at all. used to be more popular to say this, and now they're kind of realizing, eh, it might not actually matter much because glycogen replenishment isn't so demanding as we thought, especially from like bodybuilding style training or strength training. Um, but in the pre-workout window, it is still important to have some. Um, and this avoids that huge insulin surge I was talking about, which helps you not go hypoglycemic, which is where you have so many carbs, you go hypoglycemic, you get kind of shaky and, and woozy, um, while also ensuring your pre-workout carb source digests at a moderate pace, right? So if you have a little bit of fat with it, it's going to sustain the, the release of those carbs, which is going to be a sustainable energy source throughout your entire session. Now, if you consume too much in that pre-workout, your gut is also going to be churning the whole time. So if you're sitting on the leg press, pressing plates, and your gut is churning and you're farting up a storm and you feel like shit because your gut is doing all the work and not your limbs, it's not going to help you perform well. So you don't want to have too much fat. You don't want to slow the digestion down too much, but you do want a little bit. Usually that's like 5 to 10 grams, but if you're consuming 80, 90, 100 grams of fat diet, that can go upwards of you know 10 to 20 grams. You just want to be careful with it. So Less in the pre and post workout window, more throughout the rest of the meals is the big thing. Now, number step number six is pretty simple. It's it's just kind of filling the rest, right? You got to fill in the final macros with leftover carbs, or fill in the final meals with whatever carbs you have left over. And you want to do this by prioritizing micronutrient dense sources. So now that you have uh, your protein in each feeding, right? You pick a protein source, and you have the amount of protein you need in each window, and the amount of meals you're going to eat. You have uh, the majority of your carbs. You pick a carb source for your pre and post. Let's say for me, you know, my pre pre carb uh, pre workout carb is oats, and my post workout carb is white rice. My pre-workout uh, protein is whey protein. My post-workout is chicken. My post-workout fat is olive oil that we cook in uh, just a little bit. And then pre-workout is almond butter. So I have those set. I have my protein for my morning is egg whites. I have my protein for meal two is turkey. I have my protein for dessert is casein protein. Then I have, uh, this is my typical meal plan each day. Fat in the morning is a whole egg and some olive oil. Um, and then I have, uh, what do I have for second meal, olive oil as well. Ground beef is my protein source. So it's, it's going to bleed in from that. And then I have sweet potatoes and, and green beans for my veggies. Then I have spinach and, and whole grain bread and blueberries for my uh, carbs in the morning. Then I have uh, white rice by itself at night. And then I have banana at night too. So like the point is, is like, I have a lot of carbs. I'm eating like almost 400 grams of carbs a day, but so I have carbs in every meal. However, I'm prioritizing the, the pure starchy carbs that are easy for me to digest pre and post workout, right? And then on the other meals is where I fill in the rest. That's where I'm going to get, like I said, I throw in some spinach. I'm going to throw in some blueberries. I'm going to throw in some green beans and I'm choosing sweet potato, which is high fiber and it's high micronutrient dense. Um, so there's a lot of different variations you can do here. But the point is, is that you fill up your day, you get your protein set, you get your carbs set, prioritizing the pre and post workout window. You, you put a little bit of fats in the pre and post and then you spread fats out throughout the rest of the day. And then whatever carbs you have left, you divvy it up throughout the rest of your meals and you do so by by choosing produce, 
high fiber starches, fruit, veggies, stuff like that, because you need to get those micronutrients in. And when you do that, you have a set meal plan. So the example I have in this, this, this blog that I'm going to link in here is a five meal per day meal plan. Meal one is eggs. So you have a whole egg cooked in uh, olive oil with egg whites. You're going to take your fish oil, your greens drink, your multivitamin, all that stuff in the morning. Then for your carbs, you have uh, some whole wheat toast or, or oats, and then you have mushrooms and spinach cooked in the, uh, the omelet or the eggs. So now you have your micronutrient dense carbs. Next meal, you got shredded chicken or ground turkey. You got some brown rice and veggies. So you have, again, high fiber carb and some vegetables cooked in olive oil. So that you've got some healthy fats. Pre-workout meal, we got Greek yogurt and whey protein for the protein mixed with oats and berries and nut butter. So we got a little bit of fat. We got a casein and whey protein. Greek yogurt is casein. So we have slow and fast digestion protein source, which is great. Um, then we have oats and berries. All of this is made as an overnight oats overnight is going to lead it to being a resistant starch. It's going to be halfway broken down, really easy to digest, which makes it perfect for a pre-workout meal, as does the oats and the berries, because we get a little bit of a sugar and a little bit of a starch, um, which is going to help increase the amount of glucose we can absorb in a single feeding, because we're shifting the types of glucose, which is another topic. But uh, post-workout meal is going to be sirloin steak or lean ground beef with some rice or potatoes, plain and simple, right? Like we got uh, a fattier protein, beef, and then we have potatoes or rice, nice starch. And then at night, we're going to have some cottage cheese with some berries or frozen cherries or something like that in it, maybe a dark chocolate, which is healthy fat. But we have all these things laid out in a simple, simple way. How many meals are we going to eat? How many calories do we got to meet? How are we, we're splitting up our protein perfectly even throughout the day. So if we have five meals and we're eating 200 grams of protein, what is that? Uh, 40 grams of protein per meal or something like that? Plain and simple, right? 35 to 45 grams in that range, boom. And then you have your pre and post-workout carb, a little bit of pre and post-workout fat, fill in the rest with carbs and produce and high micronutrient density. That is as simple as it gets, and that is exactly how I would suggest all people do it. Like, it's it's as simple as that. That is an example meal plan. That is exactly how you set it up. Um, and I hope that makes sense, guys. If you, if you take this advice seriously, you'll know that macros and calories are the gold standard. That is what is going to lead to success. But if you do that in a way where you can actually lay out a structured plan that keeps you accountable, makes it easy to digest. Because, again, if I'm having three slices, like right now, my meal plan, like again, I'm a high carb diet, but I have three slices of uh, smaller, it's like, they're like thin sliced toast, but three slices of whole grain toast and a cup of blueberries. If I got to cut my carbs down, I'm just going to take a slice of toast away. It's very easy. I don't have to make this whole new plan. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I just slash some of it out of it. Now the consistency and the accuracy is still there and it's very, very easy for me. So meal plans work really well, but only if you combine them with fat lo- or flexible dieting. And that is the big takeaway home. You need to know your daily totals. You should break that up into meals. It gives you a plan, gives you structure, gives you accountability, gives you easy adjustments, and it is proven to work. I hope you guys like this Coaching Corner episode. Um, If it did help you, please do me a favor and help me grow the podcast. You can take a screenshot of this episode, post on your Instagram story, tag myself at Cody McBroom so that I can uh, see it on Instagram. I can thank you for listening. I can share it on mine. And do not forget to leave a five-star rating interview as well as go subscribe to the Taylor Transformations podcast. Catch you guys next time.